Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I'm here with Becky Mullenkamp, and she is a business mentor who helps women entrepreneurs own their authority and crush their goals. She has owned her marketing consulting firm for 14 years, and Becky reached out to me and applied to me on the podcast, and I'm so glad she did because I get to meet the most amazing random people (laughs) through this podcast, and I love it. So Becky, uh, when you were talking to me, you told me that Um, when you applied that you had some experiences with dealing with grief while building your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I'm sure some of my audience has probably dealt with something like that grief while trying to build a business or raise a family or do the things that, you know, we all need to do, but then you're dealing with this as well. Yeah, because unfortunately, none of us is exempt from grief. And uh, we all, unless we don't live long enough. I mean, we're all going to experience loss, right? Um, And it's hard. And until you lose someone really close, I don't know if you always really understand like how all-encompassing grief can be. So in 2010, I lost my younger brother. Um, He was 30 and he died of a drug overdose. And although he had had a problem for a long time and I had kind of lived my life knowing that he might not live a long life. It was still a shock to the system when it happened. I think that that would probably be the case for anyone. And so I was, what, maybe six or seven years into my business at that point, really doing quite well, quite successful. Um, It just happened that my brother's death coincided with my divorce uh, that I was going through. So I was going through a lot all at once. And my business suffered big time through that first big loss in my life because I didn't really know how to handle it and I didn't handle it well, um, to say the least. I totally dropped balls. I just didn't deliver projects. I didn't tell clients I wasn't going to deliver because I just sort of, my business became the last thing I was thinking about. It was this dealing with my brother's death was sort of all encompassing, even though I actually was kind of suppressing it and pretending like it hadn't happened in a way. I think the energy that went into pretending that it hadn't happened was probably more energy than I would have spent if I had just allowed myself to grieve when it happened instead of sort of trying to run from it. Because the thing I learned about grief is you can run, but you cannot hide. Eventually grief will get you. Like that's what it does. You have, it it forces you to deal with it. There's no hiding from it um, for very long. You can try, but it will get you eventually. And so it did eventually, and I had to work through it. But in that meantime, my business really suffered um, at a time when I really couldn't afford for my business to suffer because I was going through a divorce and had a lot of financial issues from that. Um, And so I learned a lot through that experience about what you should and shouldn't do when going through grief. And when I then, you know, fast forward a few years to a couple years ago, I ended up having a miscarriage. Um, I'm remarried and my husband and I were trying to have kids and um, I had a miscarriage and quickly found myself back in that state of grief. And um, I handled things very differently because I had learned so much from that first experience that I was able to this time go through that and not let it destroy my business, which I had spent a lot of time 
reconstructing and rebuilding after that first experience of grief. Um, so let's start there. Let's go with what shouldn't people do when experience grief so that they don't go to the, the point you did where literally everything's falling apart around you, right? You're getting a divorce. You've now lost your brother. The grief is causing you not to be fully present with your business. So everything is just literally falling apart. Um, of course, that's going to happen to an extent because grief's hard, right? It's not easy. Um, but what should people not do? Let's start with that. What shouldn't they do? Well, the biggest thing I think is go it alone. Um, it's, it's something I did, like, I didn't want to deal with it. And I think because I didn't want to deal with it, I didn't want to talk about it with anyone because having those conversations forces you to deal with it. But I, so I tried to go through things alone, which was easier to do because I was going through a divorce. So I didn't even have like that partner in that way there to sort of confront me and, and make me talk about things. And so and I, I pulled back from family and friends and really what I did was I sort of drank, you know, and I'm not even a big drinker and I don't really have a drinking problem, but I had a temporary, like I wanted to forget what was going on. And I went out and did a lot of partying and act like an idiot basically. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is to ask for support. Like don't, don't think that you have to go it alone. Um, don't try to hold it in and like, don't try to pretend pretend that it's not happening because like I said, you can run, but grief will find you. And so I think one of the big things is to, um, well, not to do is to not run. Yeah. And we grieve many things. We don't even have to lose somebody to have, um, grief. So like my husband is in the military. So when he was deployed last year, I experienced grief to a certain extent because I had not lost him like in the sense of like, he's no longer with us, but I had lost him in the sense of we didn't have that relationship that we normally have. And I grieved the same way you did by drinking a little too much um, because it numbs us. It numbs our emotions. We don't have to feel things when we're drinking, right? Because we're drunk and we feel great and everything's awesome. But the problem is, is once we get back into the normal everyday you know, thing we have to deal, that's still there. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear just because we went and got drunk one night or continue to get drunk every night to try to numb it. Instead, it's, it's still there. It's still something that we have to deal with on a very real basis. Um, so I would love to hear Becky. Now, what are some tips you have for, we, we talked a little bit about this. You just mentioned this, but what are some things that you would recommend people do when they're, when they're dealing with grief of, of any kind, but more particularly, um, with something like you did, that's a little bit, I mean, for me, I don't, hard is hard, but you know, my husband being deployed, he's coming back. Right. Uh, but dealing with a loss, that's a completely different kind of grief. Well, yeah, but I will also say that pain is um, relative and I, it's easy to be dismissive of someone's pain because we could say, oh, but it's not as bad as, yeah. but your husband being deployed in that time for you was, was real and painful. And that's a real pain. Just like my pain of losing my brother was a real pain. And I lost a brother. Somebody else might've lost a child. You know, my mom lost a child in this situation. So there's always like degrees where you could say, oh, it could be worse. Right. But that's really dismissive of someone's pain. And so I don't like, I don't want to do that because I think like it's all real. So yeah, if you've lost your dog or, you know, you've had a rough time, like whatever it is, when you have struggles, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to 
find a way to get support. Find people that you can trust to get vulnerable with and to lean into and to tell them what you need. People, particularly since, you know, I am talking about, in my case, death or the, you know, the miscarriage, which is death. Um, mm -hmm. People don't always know how to help. And honestly, probably even with you, with your husband being deployed, people don't know what you need. And they, if they haven't been through that experience, they're, they, they love you and want to help, but they don't know how. And we're very mm -hmm. often like, for whatever reason, we're conditioned to not ask for help or support, <laughs> you know, like somehow that's weakness or selfish or whatever it is. And I think we need to try and move past that. And so like, it's really on us to say, here's what I need. How do you need people to support you, love you through those times and ask for it? Um, and that's also true with clients. And that was what I, where one of the places I really messed up. Like I felt like to be a good business owner, I couldn't let my clients know there were problems, right? Like I was supposed to just make everything okay. And then when I couldn't, I just kind of ran <laughs> from the problem because I didn't know how to handle it. And what I learned later when I had my miscarriage was like, talk to your clients, explain what's going on. Like it's okay to let people into your private life a little as much as you're comfortable with. But I was, you, you might be surprised by the support and feedback you get. Like it was very scary for me to tell clients, I need an extension on this deadline or I can't take that project right now because, or whatever, and explain like, hey, I just went through a really tough thing personally. You know, telling people I had a miscarriage when it's something that a lot of people don't even talk about was scary. But the, what I got back was unbelievable support from clients, people I didn't even really know who gave me a lot of encouragement. People were quick to say, of course you can take time. If people know what's going on, they're more, I mean, they're human. They want to, they're good people, right? So like trust that, have some trust in being able to um, let people know what you're going through, both in your personal support system, but then also if it's something that's affecting your business, talk to your clients about it. You might be surprised at, um, you know, what kind of support you get back. And then the other thing I would say is for me, I've taken it a step further and I've been really honest and open within my broader community, sort of my, my tribe, as it were, about the personal struggles I've had. And that has been incredible because people have responded. It makes you human. Mm -hmm. It makes you relatable. And I'm not like using my struggles to be relatable. It's just that I'm open about things mostly because I want to help other people. Um, particularly, I mean, I think the, the two big losses I've had are both things that are a bit taboo in our world. Like we yeah. don't talk about drug overdose much. Somehow people who die of drug overdoses are like it's their fault or something. And so then a lot of the family is left saying, why didn't, you know, what was wrong with me? How come I didn't, you know, how did I raise a child that's using drugs or a brother that's on drugs, whatever, which is there's taboos around that that are awful. And then for miscarriage, like women, I understand women don't always feel comfortable talking about it because it's painful, but it's also one in four women go through miscarriage. So like mm -hmm. a lot of us have been through it, but we don't talk about it. So then we're left feeling lonely. Sometimes there's guilt associated with it. So I like to talk about it because I feel like it helps people. And if you're willing to open up and share more of your life with your broader community, I think that you will begin to attract the right kind of people into your world and it will make people understand that you're human. <laughs> I love that you said that because that's like the whole premise behind this podcast. We've had, uh, we actually had an episode on miscarriage and I'm going to link that up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com. 
But it's those kind of things that are taboo that I like to talk about because mm -hmm. we need to. So people realize that this is a real thing and, and a lot of people struggle with it. You said one in four with miscarriage. I guarantee there's probably like at least one in 10, if not more, of people that experience either somebody who is an addict, like they've been with somebody or they're related to somebody. I was mar or not married. I was engaged to somebody who was an addict, right? And you do, you turn that internally. It's like, what am I doing or what did I do? I mean, he's still alive, um, but what did I do to make this person want to do drugs and turn to that? And we don't realize that it's, it's not nothing about us, right? right. It, it has a lot to do with what they're going through. And addiction is a complex thing that nobody can really say this is the black and white thing that's going on with an addict just like somebody who's struggling with mental illness like I struggle with depression and anxiety apparently uh, and it's the same thing it's not black and white not everybody that struggles with those things are going to be the same thing you know like addicts it's not just you know this addict is the same as that addict and the reason they started doing drugs is the same it's different for everybody but it's really a lot about them and I love that you brought up the stigmas around these sort of things, because if we just took the time to understand and have these conversations, then maybe we would know we're not alone in this struggle, right? And this is not on us. It's, it's not something we did that caused this to happen. Um, instead, it is now something that we can utilize. And like you said, transparency. So whether it's transparency with your coworkers or your clients or your family or your friends, it can be scary because we're so scared that if we tell people how they're gonna react and it's gonna be a bad reaction, but nine times out of 10, it's actually gonna be a really good one and they're gonna to wanna to support you and ask you what you need. Uh, so how did you go about talking to other people about that? Did you just come out and say, I had a miscarriage? Um, or did you, was it like, did you work around that in a way? Well, and it was, it was interesting. So I had my miscarriage right around 10 weeks. I had, we had just had our first appointment to hear the heartbeat not long before that. And we decided that, you know, we're supposed to wait until 12 weeks to tell people, but we were so excited. It happened to coincide with Mother's Day that we were like, you know what, we're going to tell our families on Mother's Day because it seems like such great timing to tell people that I'm going to be a mom on Mother's Day. And so we told family, our immediate family, on Mother's Day, and two days later, I found out there was no longer a heartbeat. I may not have even been pregnant still on Mother's Day, but I don't, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. uh, I do know, this is a little side note, but it's interesting to me, like that day, we were leaving my mom's house having just told her that she was going to have a grandchild, and I'm an older first-time mom. She didn't think we were ever gonna, I was ever going to have a kid, so she was beyond ecstatic. When we were driving, my um, husband and I were driving away, a bird flew into my windshield and died. Wow. And I said to him, I was like, that can't be good. That's got to be a bad omen. So like, I still like have that, this, just this vivid image. And then like two yeah. days later, I had a totally unrelated doctor's appointment and found out there was no longer a heartbeat. And I was like, oh my God, I swear. I think they're like, the universe was telling me. But anyway, so we had just told our families. We hadn't told friends. We hadn't made a big a public announcement. So it's a really strange place to be in because some people, like most people, didn't even know I was pregnant. And yeah. then I'm going to say, hey, I'm not pregnant anymore. And when they don't even know I'm pregnant. And so obviously I told my immediate family because we had just told them and they, they gave us their love. Um, and then I reached out just and told a couple of very close friends who I think I'd actually already kind of spilled the beans to because I was so excited. Um, but people didn't know how to react. I got flowers from one person. Um, our family was kind of like, well, let us know what you need. But there wasn't, you know, it was, it's interesting because it wasn't like 
when you lose a family member or somebody who's living and then gone, like there's this different experience. I don't think people know what to do. It wasn't like people were bringing meals or the things that they do, traditionally do when someone dies. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, I, I just slowly started talking about it. Um, I had to kind of go through my own grieving process. And I think what happened was I started to realize like, okay, I'm, I, I identified more quickly. I'm slipping into a depression here, mm-hmm. which I wasn't able to do with my brother's death. Like I didn't recognize it as soon with him. And I think having gone through that, this time I was able to more sort of clearly and quickly recognize signs that there's problems here. And that's when I was able to say, okay, I need to get help. And so that's when I started to talk more to people about it. I, um, I think I reached out to a few people that I had heard had had miscarriages or that had told me somehow I can't now it's been a while so I can't remember exactly how but so it was just slowly kind of talking to people that had had miscarriages and then just like realizing that people don't talk about it and and feeling like this I think I just started to feel this uh, almost obligation or something this sense of duty like like I'm I'm at a place in my life where I feel the strength to be able to share. And so I feel like I need to, so that other people aren't in that place of feeling so alone about it. And so then it was just like started becoming a part of my story that I was comfortable sharing with people. And now, you know, I talk about it all the time because I really do want people to know that they're not alone in that experience because it, I think it is a really lonely experience because very often you haven't even told, like people don't even know you're pregnant. And then how do you go about just saying like, Hey, I was pregnant. Now I'm not like, that's a weird thing to announce. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it does sometimes feel really isolating. And then even if people did know, and, and you have that loss very often, they just don't know how to react. They're just, it makes them feel uncomfortable. And so they don't know what to do. Well, let's go there. What, what would you say people should do? Um, let's start with what people should do if they know somebody who's experienced a miscarriage, which mind you, again, you might not know about that. And the 12 weeks thing, most of us We've been told that, right? We've heard that, but you get so excited. And if you've never had an issue with um, having babies before, you don't think about it, right? Like my sister, she lost um, a baby the beginning of this year. Uh, well, we're, we're recording this in 2017 or in 2018. So beginning of 2017, she lost a baby and our family never lost a baby like that. Right. So she announced it, I don't know, maybe not even eight weeks in because she's excited. Right. And then she lost the baby. Well, thank goodness um, for her. Like now she has a rainbow baby. So that's a, that's been a happy moment for, but she didn't know. And then she grieved and I didn't know what to do because I'm her sister. I've never experienced that sort of loss before. Um, I sent her a, I sent her like a personal development book and, and some stickers or something. I don't know what I did, but I was just like, I just want to send her some happy in a box. I don't know. She lives in New York, but I didn't know what to do because again, like you said, it's kind of awkward because if you've never experienced it, you don't know what to do. And it's such a taboo thing that you really have no idea what to say or, or how to, to handle that. So what would you say um, from your experience? What did you need from people? Well, I first want to quickly say that I also have a rainbow baby, if Yay! that's what we say. So yes, I have my husband and I got pregnant four months later, which was amazing. And and he's great. And now he's a year and a half and, and a wonderful so little happy. creature. I'm so happy to hear him. that. Yeah. Um, so that's all good. So I, I want to add a little happy to this story. Um, <laughs> now, as far as what to do, this is interesting because I've talked to people about it and, mm-hmm. and I've talked to a lot of women who've had miscarriages now and it's different for everyone, which doesn't yeah. make it any easier for people, right? Because some women just don't want to talk about it. They, mm-hmm. it. It's too painful to talk about and they don't want people asking. Some people just need somebody to listen to them. So it is really hard because you don't know necessarily what your friend or your sister or whoever it is in your life needs. 
the best thing I can say is to ask, say, what, what do you need or what can I do for you? Do you want to talk or would you be, is it too hard? Do you want me to come back to you in a few weeks? Like if they say it, it's too hard to talk about them to say, would you like me to check back in in a couple weeks about this? Or do you just not want me, you know, do you want me to wait and let you approach me? Those are things we don't always think to even do, like to just ask people, what do you need? Um, instead, I think very often we jump into, let me fix this mode, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you don't, if you have a shared experience, then you want to be like, well, this is what I did. This is what I needed. So, I, But taking that moment just to ask people, what do you need? What can I do for you is really valuable. Um, for me, I think what I wish I had had more of was more sympathy. Um, empathy was great from the people who'd been through it, but some sympathy just from people who maybe hadn't, but like a more of an understanding that I was going through something. Cause I think, and I think that you can do that for someone, even if they don't want you to talk about it, you can still um, give them a hug or let them know you're there for them or give them some space or just have that understanding that what they're going through is real and they need time. Cause I think there's, a, and, and I don't know if this is a, a real thing or just something that women feel, um, but you, you sort of feel that people are expecting you to just be normal again, like mm -hmm. kind of just get over it. It wasn't a real loss. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like you lost a baby that you were holding, you know, but you're losing not only regardless of what you feel about, like when life begins and all that stuff, you're losing the dream. Mm -hmm. So even if you're, you had a miscarriage at four weeks and somebody might be like, well, you were hardly pregnant, like, you know, whatever, like, cause sometimes we get dismissive like that. That person is losing the dream of what they thought was going to be happening. They're losing that life that they were already picturing. Cause I promise you as soon, if you want to be pregnant, as soon as you see that little plus sign on the stick, you are living that life in your head. You're dreaming of that child. You're picturing what you're going to do with this kid. You're already looking at them going, graduating from high school and getting married. Like, yes, that's all happening. And that's real for you. And so dismissing that in any way for someone is really, really damaging. Um, so I think just trying to, even if you can't understand it, maybe you don't want kids or you haven't been there yet or you know, maybe you had a miscarriage and it wasn't that hard on you or whatever it is for that mm -hmm. person. That's a very real loss. And so if you in any way feel yourself starting to dismiss that, it's going to be okay. Just get over it. You know, it's been two weeks. Like let's move on. Any of that kind of stuff, stop. <laughs> and remember that for that person, it's very real. And so ask them what they might want. If there's somebody who is willing to talk about it, send them flowers, go over and like bring them a meal offer to clean their house because I promise you when you're going through a loss of any kind and that one in particular, for a lot of people, you start to go into a depression. And when that happens very often, you just don't want to do anything, right? You just don't have any energy and you can feel the world around you kind of falling apart, but you can't do much about it. So having people that can step in and like make sure that your house is getting cleaned or your pets are being fed, or if you have other kids that they're being fed and that those things are happening is huge. And later you'll look back and say, thank you. And also, Whenever there's somebody who's having a loss and you do something, if it, if it feels like it went unnoticed, don't take that personally and don't, um, so don't be in it for the self, like for the congratulations, do it out of the kindness of your heart. And they are noticing, even if they aren't able to articulate that and say, thank you, or bring, you know, give you the thank you note or whatever it is, just know that it means something and just do it because it's the right thing to do. And don't expect that they're going to throw you a parade <laughs> because I think sometimes people get a little caught up in that and then think, well, that person didn't even thank me for this. Well, they're going through a lot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I have to agree with you as somebody who's 
a mom four times over, um, I know how real it is. And I'll tell you, as I was a teen mom, so I had my oldest daughter when I was 16. And of course, as a teen mom, and I will tell anybody this, all of the possibilities go through your head, right? Should I give the baby up for adoption? Should I abort it? Should I do this? Should I do that? And, and that's hard for people to hear because they're like, especially if you've lost a baby, you're like, how could you abort? When you're 16 and you're found out you're pregnant, that's all the things that go through your head. But I will tell you what made it real for me was not, I mean, the pregnancy test obviously was like, holy crap, I'm pregnant. But that first doctor's appointment where he showed me a little wiggling, like she was like a peanut on the screen, right? This little wiggling peanut. And most people who lose a baby, they've seen that peanut on the screen. Like um, there are people that will lose, you know, take a pregnancy test and then, you know, find out they're not pregnant. But there are most of most people who lose a baby, it's, they see that peanut, right? And that you see that peanut, that peanut's real. Like that's a real, <laughs> that's like, oh my God, that's in me. So that's a huge thing. And, and whether you've experienced that, no matter like what you said, what your beliefs are to that person, that is real. That's a real, like you're right. Like I saw that wiggling peanut and every impossible imagining thing came through my mind. Like, what is this peanut going to grow up to be? And what is this peanut going to grow up to do? And right now that peanut has a boyfriend. <laughs> and that's why I also want to say, that's why I said like for somebody who wants to get pregnant, because it's obviously yeah. a very different situation for somebody who didn't want to get pregnant. And I respect and honor that as well. But I'm just saying for somebody who wants, if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to get pregnant and you see that little plus sign, it's, it, it's a whole different experience yes. than somebody who's like seeing the plus side and saying, Oh shit. Now what? Sorry. If I yeah. No, <laughs> no, you're you fine. Know, there's a different experience. Those are two yeah. different experiences. But so if you know somebody was wanting to get pregnant and they lost the baby, then that's it for them. It's a very, very real loss. And even at that point in time, after seeing the peanut, I would have like, I would have been devastated. Like, even though I was 16, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to, as soon as he showed me the peanut, I was like, no, that's my baby. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> and that was literally the reason he showed me. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm so confused. And he's like, let me show you something first and ta-da little peanut. Um, but so you're right. And I love that you said that for everybody, it's going to be different. We really just need to ask, what do you need? How can I be here for you? And just expressing, I'm, I don't know what you're going through. If you don't know what they're going through but I can only imagine the kind of pain that you're in right now. I'm so sorry for your loss. Whether you believe it's a loss or not, that's not up to you. To them, it's a, it is a loss. Um, to me, it would be a loss. But I mean, for everybody, it's different. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. And, and since that's a different kind of grief than it is to lose your brother, um, what could people do in that sort of sense? Like somebody, especially, especially would love to hear you touch on like the fact that he OD'd. So like, this is not like a natural cause. Like, this is not like he had a heart attack, you know? Um, that's a little bit different. So what can people do in that sort of scenario? You know, I, I would say this kind of goes like close to like suicide, you know, um, is the fact that it's a taboo subject and it's touchy for people to talk about, but you lost somebody. So what can people do in that scenario and, and to help you and support you? Well, first of all, so yes. Like I completely liken it to suicide and I have a friend whose dad committed suicide and we very much bonded over this issue because it, for whatever reason, and I know there's a lot of them in our society, we treat suicide and overdose deaths very differently than like you said, well, it's not like it was a heart attack, whatever. And those are treated very differently. Mm -hmm. 
a car accident, something that was outside their control because in our heads, suicide and drug overdose, that's like they, they chose that, right? Like, and I'm using, I know I use air quotes too. When I say I'm using air quotes around chose because people say like, but that's the mentality we have in this country, which I get. I mean, I do like, I can see where people would say that if you haven't had a close personal experience with that, if you haven't had a mental illness in your life in some way, it's easy to sort of dismiss it and say that somebody chose that thing. And honestly, even people who have had suicide and overdose and mental illness in their life sometimes feel that way. Um, and so I get it. Like I know people who uh, have lost someone very close and, and for a very long time live in that place of anger of like, why did they choose to leave? Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to get to a place where you can say mental illness was outside their control and it wasn't. Yes. My brother was bipolar. And he okay. was self-medicating, um, which is very common among people who are bipolar to mm-hmm. have an associated drug uh, addiction or some sort of addiction to self-medicate because it is a hard, hard disease and it is very difficult to deal with. And um, it's painful and not fun. And, you know, you just, it's kind of like when I lost him, I didn't want to deal with it. And he didn't want to mm-hmm. deal with his affliction. I mean, he had, his brain wasn't made the same way as mine. Mm-hmm. And I am now able to see that. But he also had a very young daughter when he died who can't necessarily see that. You know, when you're a kid, you don't see that. All you see is this person chose to leave me. You, you chose drugs over me, which is, can feel true, you know, yeah. and, and, it, and, but it's, it takes, it just takes a little more self-work and maturity and all of these things to get to a place of understanding that it's not as simple as saying it was a choice. Yes. He chose to put a needle in his arm, but that there to him that did not feel like a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't really your question, but I just want to say, like, oh, no, I, I'm so happy you did. Cause yeah. I actually have a, a semicolon on my wrist because I am, um, I'm a suicide survivor. So I completely understand that. And people will say suicide so selfish. How could you ever think of doing that and doing that to your family? But in my mind, I was being selfless because I was taking myself out of the equation so everybody be so much better off without me, right? My kids could have a new mom. My husband could have a new wife, you know, and the world wouldn't have to deal with me and my mess anymore, right? And that was the thought process. It wasn't that, oh, I just, I'm just going to take myself out of the world because I, I think that that's just going to end it all for me. It wasn't even pain. I'd been in pain. I'd been dealing with depression for my entire life. Like, that was not the point. The point was, is I thought in my head and with what I was dealing with, with my mental illness was that life would be better off without me in it. And now who knows, your brother may not have thought the same way, but like you said, you don't know what it's like to experience being bipolar if you're not bipolar. You don't know what it's like to be a drug addict unless you've dealt with addiction. Now, People may have dealt with addiction, but not bipolar at the same time. So now it's a whole nother scenario. Um, And I don't want people to discount or judge because you just don't know unless you're in that place. And I know it's easy when you lose somebody um, to an OD or to suicide to say they were selfish and get so angry, but they were in a lot of pain that we can't even see. Yeah. You know, when somebody dies, like what's the first thing that people ask? How? How do they die? Like, that's always what we ask, right? I try to do, I'm trying really hard to not do that with people because that's one thing I learned because a lot of people aren't prepared to talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if they didn't die in a car crash or have a heart attack, you know, if they had some thing, some other thing that was difficult for the family to deal with to begin with. And then we're sitting there asking the family, so how did your kid die? How did your brother die? Like that's, that's my first lesson. Just don't even ask how, right? Because mm-hmm. really, why does it matter? Doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really matter. It's just our own morbid curiosity, honestly, more than anything. I think more often than we just want to know, was it something that could affect me? Like, it's a selfish question to ask because really you're just saying like, oh, could I die early too because of whatever? So just don't even ask, okay? Number one, don't ask. (laughs) Number two, don't judge, which is really hard. Um, But whatever your judgments are about that person, like they are no, their loss is no less real than if somebody had died of a heart attack. My mother's losing her son was no less real than if he had died in a car wreck. You know, how he died didn't change the fact that she lost her child or that I lost my brother or whatever. So don't discount, even if you don't feel like you're doing, like if you're in your mind at all, you have those feelings of like, they chose this or whatever. Find a way to work through those before you talk to the family because that stuff will translate. And then that discounts or dismisses that death to that person. And it makes that, I promise you, that only compounds the grief and makes, and and those feelings of guilt and everything else that come along with um, the feelings that you have as the the person who loves somebody who died in that manner. And the next thing I would say is if you don't know anything about their religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs, please don't say he's in a better place. Hallelujah. Right? (laughs) Or this, you know, it's, it'll all be, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that people, we say to people, but he's in a better place. They're in God's hands now. Right. Or it was, whatever's meant to be will be, or whatever. All of those, like, just don't do it. (laughs) Um, If you don't know what else to say, here's what you say. I am so sorry for your loss. That sucks. That's it. Period. Done. Because it does. It's a loss and it sucks. No matter what, losing someone is hard and it sucks. So you can just say, I'm so sorry for your loss. If you know that they believe in God and they believe those same things as you, then okay, fine. If you, if you know that they would respond to that, then you, have, you can say that. But if you don't, if somebody doesn't believe that, those things that you're saying feel dismissive and mm-hmm. really add to the pain. Because when somebody says he's in a better place and you just lost somebody you love and the only place that is a good place in your mind is right next to you and they aren't there, that hurts. I promise. So don't do that. (laughs) And then I guess the other big thing is just, again, like I was talking about with miscarriage, be there. How can you be there? Like, what can you do? Because this person is going to be out of commission for a while. If somebody's lost a child, that's a long, long road back to any sense of normalcy. So they don't need you just today, but for the next year, two years, checking on them. How are you doing? Can I do anything for you? But in that immediate time right after meals bring them meals because they cannot cook clean their house they cannot clean if they have other children help them get to school do whatever step in and just try to be there for them because their parent probably right now isn't able to um, give them all that they would like to be giving them so having people that will take them to the zoo or do whatever with them because they can't is you know good so just trying to find ways to step up and be there for that person but I think honestly the biggest thing particularly around somebody who's died from addiction is just really trying to be mindful of the way you speak about it um, mm-hmm. or even the way you're feeling about it because that can translate without you realizing that it is um, and can end up feeling dismissive. And so just really go out of your way to try and remember that this was a real loss regardless of how it happened. 
I agree. And it's hard for me to have this conversation because I was in a relationship with an addict who abused me, right? So to have this conversation, it's hard. But in order for us to open our minds up and be able to understand more, we have to have these conversations, right? Because like, even while you're talking, like my heart's like, nee, 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 nee. <laughs> but in order for me to understand more, I have to have these conversations because I couldn't even ever imagine what my ex's mom would felt like had he did had he overdosed and took his life. I wouldn't have felt the same way because like I was, I was angry at him, right? I was so mad at the way he taught me or treated me, but my daughter is his daughter, right? So if that were to happen, I mean, he's still an addict. An addict is an addict is an addict. You can be sober, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that's a forever thing right? And it's unfortunate because some people will fall back on their addictions and some people will be sober for the rest of their lives. Um, so I couldn't even imagine what my daughter, who is now eight years old, what she would be feeling if that happened to her father, right? So I have to take myself out of the scenario instead of, you know, not focus on the things he's done to me, but focus on this is a human being who has a life, who has a family, who has uh, a purpose and who is now no longer with us. Like that's a big thing. Um, and that's a huge thing. And I, I cannot express how much I appreciate your transparency and sharing with us because somebody listening right now might be going through this or might have gone through this or might think this is, you know, like what, what would I do in this situation? Um, either with miscarriage or losing a family member to overdose. We don't know because we've never been it, been there, but to hear your story, it's, it's so brave of you to share. And I want to thank you so much for doing that. So how, so with the miscarriage, we, you kind of got into how you got back into business. You were transparent with your client, but I'm kind of curious before we wrap this up, how did you rebuild your business after you just completely dropped everything? Well, so after my brother's death, I, uh, for a good year, just checked out of reality. Um, I had been blessed up until that point of being in a marriage where money wasn't such an issue. And so I did just enough to get by. I, I was actually cocktail waitressing so that I could make some ends meet and living on what I had saved. And um, so I functioned. And then when I started to come out of that haze, I was like, I got to like figure out how to make some more money, like just enough to do that. I like, I got a, went back and got a nine to five, which I did for a year, which was horrible, but it paid <laughs> And then basically it was a, it was a good solid two years. Um, one year of complete, like just, I mean, being like nuts, just not at all myself. And then the second year of kind of coming out of the haze and realizing I needed to make a change, but not really sure how. So a good two years. And then after that, I started just slowly. Like I honestly, I went back to a lot of my clients with my um, tail between my legs and said, here's what happened. And I am so sorry. And I hope that we had a good enough relationship beforehand that you will try and give, have enough trust in me to let me work with you again. And again, the um, generosity and understanding of people will never cease to amaze me. And I had people that were like, okay, and they are still my clients now years later. Um, and so I am forever grateful for that because people were willing to take a chance on me. And I, you know, just being honest I've learned in life, like just being honest really gets you pretty far in life instead of trying to fake it till you make it or pretend or whatever, like just step in and step up and say, here's where I'm at. And so I had people that were, that slowly sort of trusted me. I had to move back in with my mom as a very grown ass woman living with my mom, um, which honestly ended up being the very best thing because she... I think that helped her finally also push through some of the stuff because she lost a child. Like I can't yeah. even 
fathom that, especially now that I'm a mom. I wasn't a mom when I lost my brother. Now I'm like, oh my God. Um, so I think me living with her helped her and it gave me a little more time to figure things out, go through the grief. I think that was the big thing too, was I just forced myself to finally go through the grief and feel it and, and be miserable <laughs> and, you know, all of the stuff that you have to do, like work through that. And that was a long process. But once I came out of that, then, you know, I started, I had the clients that I had before and then started just putting myself out there and um, finding new clients. And then I met my husband and had a kid. And so like, you know, life does go on, but it's funny, you know, right now there's a lot of talk in the country about heroin um, and, you know, this epidemic, they're now calling it an epidemic and all of that. And my brother was, I guess, ever the hipster because he died from a heroin overdose before it was cool. Um, yeah. But like all of this talk that's going on about heroin, like it's, it's been seven and a half, eight years, seven and a half years since my brother died. And I still will have a moment where like just this week, I, you know, actually just this morning I was listening to NPR and they were talking about the heroin epidemic. And I had a moment again where I was like overcome a bit with like, just thinking about my brother. And so even though I've processed a lot and I've I finally felt the pain and I did go through the grief, grief really never ends. Like if you lose somebody that close to you, like you always, it's always there. You just have to find your new normal and try to function and it still hits. And so it still hits me, but I'm now at a place where I can cope with it better. And, you know, thankfully I've rebuilt my business in my life a bit, but it's hard. <laughs> and it, you show people that there is help after, loss. There is hope. You don't have to stay in that place and marinate in it. And I, I teach my clients this, like if you feel anything ang or any like negative emotion, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, but anger, sadness, grief, any of those things that we deem negative emotions, you have to feel it. You have to, you can't chase it away or push it down because eventually it comes out. It, it doesn't go away. We have to feel it. And then we have to say, what do I need to do to get out of this, right? What do I need to do to help myself heal from this to, not to get over it, but to heal from this so that I can go back to my new normal. Um, and, and you can't stay in that place and marinate in it. So we need to wrap up the podcast, Becky, but what is one thing that you would like to leave my audience with um, about anything we've talked about on the podcast today? I guess for me, the biggest thing is just be there. Um, so I think because it's more for the, I guess I'm thinking for the people who have friends or someone in their life that goes through yeah. something, cause that's probably even honestly, the more common occurrence is, you know, somebody who's going through something difficult and you just don't know what to do. And I guess the biggest thing is just be there, whatever that looks like, you know, but don't, don't pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> cause I think that's what we often do. Cause it's hard. It feels icky for us to deal with. And so we just choose to kind of not deal with it. But that really hurts the person more than if you just would sort of soldier through the difficult conversation and have it and just say, how can I help you? Or what do you need from me? Or how, how do you need to be supported in this? So, so I guess put yourself out there and feel the icky for just a minute. And it's worth it to help that other person feel a little better. Becky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you applying. I know how scary that must be for people. It's like, oh no, she might, she might say no to me. <laughs> and I feel bad every time I have to say no to people. But this has been an amazing conversation. You're so brave and transparent for sharing with everybody. And I really hope that people get a lot out of it. I know I did. Um, I'm, I'm like trying to wrap it up so I don't start crying. Um, but thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspired Women podcast. Don't forget
forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.